live from Washington, D.C. every Wednesday from 3 to 4 p.m. for an hour-long Generation Progress takeover. Check us out at genprogress.org or on Twitter at genprogress. Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I'm your other co-host, Edwith Theogene. Thanks for joining us today. We've got, so th- today is a busy, incredible, important day in the history of our country. I want to acknowledge that up front. We have um, the 45th president of the United States, Donald J. Trump, who is likely to be uh, impeached uh, this afternoon, early this evening, and for very good reason, specifically abuse of presidential power. Uh, obstruction of justice and nobody asked me for my opinion but I would also add in bribery and a whole host of other uh, impeachment charges but again you know uh, the committee did not did not consult me for my expert opinion on this Uh, but but in the context of this and I know it's consumed a tremendous amount of our attention and rightfully so there are still other things that are happening in this country and in this world right now, and today we're going to be talking about one of those incredibly um, important and um, uh, potentially impactful here, for better or worse, things that is happening in the country. And so we're going to be talking about a case that's currently making its way through the Supreme Court of the United States, the highest court in the land, and that case is Comcast First, the National Association of African American Owned Media. Uh, this case has really significant implications for uh, one of the oldest civil rights statutes that provides core protections for African Americans and other marginalized groups, uh, and that's Section 1981 of the Civil Rights Act of 1866. So we're talking about a case today that could potentially have implications for one of the oldest civil rights statutes in the land going all the way back to 1866. And to walk us through what is happening with this case and why we should all be paying attention to it, uh, we're joined in studio by two incredible guests. We have Darielli Rodriguez, the director of the Economic Justice Project at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under the Law. Thanks for joining us, Darielli. Thanks for having me. And and we have Dorian Spence, the director of Special Litigation and Advocacy, also at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under the Law. Thanks for thanks for joining us again today, Dorian. Absolutely. Thanks for having me as well. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just to just sort of start here and jump right in, Darielle, if you could tell us a little bit about your role at the Lawyers Committee uh, and what the Economic Justice Project is. Sure. So thanks again for having me here, Brent and Edwith. It's a real pleasure to be here with you to talk about this important case. I am the director of the Economic Justice Project at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law. And my project is responsible for managing uh, all of the work related to combating economic inequality in this country. We uh, focus our work on employment discrimination and discrimination in the consumer space. And increasingly, we're doing more work related to health equity and its impact on communities of color. Um, and I'll turn it over to Dorian to talk a little bit about the work that he does. Absolutely. Thanks, Darielli. Um My name is Dorian Spence once again, and I direct our Special Litigation and Advocacy Project. And that's a very long name to describe what my project (laughs) does. We basically work on issues that don't fall neatly into any of the other buckets of the Lawyers Committee's work. So, you know, we heard cats and dogs, right? We we worked on the census case. We partnered with Darielli's project to work on um, this particular uh, Comcast amicus brief because um, the, the breadth and the scope of this actual case 
fits into economic justice, but it's it touches on some of our other projects. So not only do I work on issues, or my project worked on issues that um, don't fall neatly into the other buckets, but it works on projects that require collaboration between the projects of the Lawyers Committee. Yeah, that that so that makes sense. Thanks for giving us that context and framing for the work that you all do. Um, you you mentioned the census uh, briefly, Dorian. So I'm gonna give a quick shout out. Make sure that you get counted. So much, so much, so much depends on it. Political power depends on the census. Money depends on the census. It has implications and impacts for 10 years. So do not wait for them to come knock on your door. Take the first, second, third, fourth, whatever opportunity it is to make sure that you get, forget that, take the first opportunity to make sure you get counted on the census. Right. Do not throw it in the trash when you get the form in the mail. Please jump online and complete the census or just fill out the form and send it back. Your information is safe, but we need you to participate. We need everyone to be counted in the census. We need everyone to be counted in the census, particularly we know communities of color will, uh, there are concerted efforts to undercount our communities and we need to make sure that does not happen. So. I will uh, digress back to the topic here at hand. Uh, so, so we talked just a little bit about the case, um, or we talked about how it touches on the various um, areas. Darielle, turning back to you, if you could give us like the the high level overview, what is it that we're talking about today with uh, with Comcast with this Comcast case? So. Uh, this case, as you mentioned, there's a lot going on, and I understand that it's it's incredibly difficult to uh, focus on what's going on beyond what's going on in the White House. Um, but this is a critically important case that is before the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court held oral arguments in uh, mid-November, and uh, we are currently pending, waiting for a ruling. The litigation was brought by Byron Allen, who is a uh, media mogul and is a high net worth individual. And he is alleging that Comcast, in this particular case, discriminated against him in uh, contracting opportunities by not uh, carrying his channels. And the claim that he brought is a Section 1981 claim. And as you mentioned earlier, Section 1981. Um, of the Civil Rights Act of 1866 is one of our oldest civil rights statutes. And even though it's one of the oldest, it continues to be incredibly important in the work that we do as civil rights attorneys. Um, we're talking about a multimillionaire, or maybe he's a billionaire, <laughs> versus... He's got all the coins. He's got all the coins I, going against Comcast, which uh, in last year earned more than $22 billion, right? So we're talking, they have, talking, they, <laughs> they have <laughs> even more coins. So uh, we're talking about really high net worth companies and individuals, but the implications for these, this case are really significant for the communities that we serve across the country. Uh, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law is a racial justice organization, and the work that we do in a variety of facets in voting, uh, housing, education, employment, economic justice, all of that work is focused on improving and increasing opportunities for communities of color. Mm -hmm. And that's why we thought it was so important for us to weigh in on this case because it fits squarely within our mission. Um, what Comcast is trying to do here is, at the end of the day, make it more difficult for uh, people of color who have experienced discrimination to have their day in court, not even to win the case, it's they're making it harder to um, bring their case to begin with. And I'll pause there, but... So, I mean, first of all, um, I just want someone one day to describe me as a mogul in any context. <laughs> uh, so that's just respect to Byron Allen. Um, two, I, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong here, um, 
so Byron Allen's bringing this lawsuit because he's saying his his channels didn't get carried and lesser white-owned channels did. And so he brought this discrimination case. And what you said at the last point I think is really important. Comcast isn't even arguing the merits of the case. They're saying this case shouldn't even go forward, right? They're trying to change the basic parameters by which someone can file a discrimination case. And that's why the implications are so great. That's right. Right. That's right. No, absolutely. And I think Darielle summed it up best. But to, to give a little bit of background about Section 1981, I mean, we have to go all the way back to the abolishment of slavery, right? Like this is one of the nation's oldest civil rights statutes. And it was put in place to make sure that newly freed slaves in the South, and one thing that we learned actually before we jump into that, when we were drafting our amicus brief on this case, is that at the height of um, the Civil War, 85% of African-Americans lived in the Southern states. And I did not know that. So the vast majority of, of black people in this country lived in the South. So when slavery was abolished, clearly, coming from the institution that they just came from, they needed a little extra protection mm -hmm. in those areas, right? Section 1981 passed to make sure that newly freed men and free women had an equal opportunity to enter into contracts as everyone else, right? And through the development of this particular statute and eventually what it came to be recognized for is that it doesn't just apply to state actors or it doesn't just apply to government actors, it applies to purely private actors as well. So if you are entering into a private contract and you feel that you were denied that contract because of the color of your skin, you can file a claim under Section 1981. And as Darielli highlighted, um, Comcast is arguing that you should not even get your day in court unless you can prove that your race was the reason that you did not receive an opportunity to enter into that contract. And these implications don't only exist for billionaires, right? Like Comcast has a lot of coins, which we talked about. Byron Allen has a lot of coins that we talked about. But this also extends to anyone who's entering into a contract. Absolutely. So yeah. if, if, if you would think about people who work in the gig economy, right? Like people who are playing a guitar at night in a bar, if they want to enter into a contract or, or Uber drivers or yeah. um, anyone in the gig economy. I believe you're about to jump so, in, are you? So, so when we when we come back from this break, let's pick up what this what the implications can be for those in the gig economy and why the implications are so great here. Absolutely. All right, we'll be right back. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your co-host, Brent J. Cohen. And I'm the, your other co-host, Edwith Theogene. And we're talking today with two uh, very knowledgeable uh, in-studio guests, Darielle Rodriguez, uh, Director of Economic Justice Project at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under the Law, and Dorian Spence, also with the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under the Law, Director of Special Litigation and Advocacy. Uh, and we're talking today, we're talking about uh, Comcast v. The National Association of African American Owned Media. This is a case that has now been taken up by the Supreme Court, and it's a case that we were talking just before break has implications not just for Byron Allen, who is the lead plaintiff in this case, but has implications really across the board and for um, communities uh, and individuals across the United States. And so, uh, Darielle, we were just starting to get into what the potential implications of this case could be and, and who it might impact. Um, if Comcast were to get its way in this in this situation, 
Right. So um, as we were discussing, uh, Section 1981 is one of the civil rights statutes that civil rights attorneys uh, rely on to uh, bring about justice for their clients in a variety of facets. As, as we know, structural racism is still alive and well, and black and brown people experience discrimination in every facet of their lives, in, in housing, education, employment, retail settings. And Section 1981 has been a critical statute uh, that litigants have been able to use to root out discrimination in these different facets. Um, Section 1981 is a statute that employees use when they encounter race discrimination in the workplace. It's a statute that uh, tenants use when they encounter uh, discrimination in trying to get access to rental properties. Uh, it's a statute that consumers of color use when they experience uh, race discrimination when they're shopping. We've heard a lot about shop and frisk or shopping while black. We know that that is something that happens every single week. You see a different incident go viral on social media. Racism is still alive, and, and we need very strong statutes on the books so that people who experience discrimination can go to court um, and have their matter heard before um, before the court. Uh, the one point that we made in our amicus brief is that there are uh, exceptions to a few civil rights statutes that leave out people from coverage. So, for example, Title VII of the Civil Rights Act is the statute that covers workers, employees. Uh, but there are a lot of people who are not covered under Title VII. Uh, for example, if you're an independent contractor, you're not covered under Title VII. So independent contractors who experience discrimination, they can't rely on Title VII. They have to rely on Section 1981. Title II of the Civil Rights Act is the um, statute that prohibits discrimination in public accommodation spaces. So if you go to Macy's up the street and go shopping and you experience uh, discrimination there, Oddly enough, it's not covered under Title II. You would have to rely on Section 1981. So Section 1981 is incredibly important for um, lots of uh, people uh, of color across the country in a variety of facets. And uh, the, the implications here, uh, if, if Comcast has their way, what would end up happening is that litigants who are trying to have their case move on to discovery, they, they would have a very hard time um, because Comcast is trying to get litigants to prove their case at the earliest stages of litigation without having any access to discovery. Um, we know that sometimes racism is, is implicit. It's, it's not always explicit. And so sometimes when we experience discrimination, we think that we know that it may have happened because of the color of our skin, but we're not really sure, right? If, if I go to a store down the block and I'm shopping and I go in to try on some clothes and then I go to purchase my clothes, but on my way to the register, uh, a security guard stops me and accuses me of shoplifting, preventing me from completing my purchase, I'm going to think that that happened to me because of the, the color of my skin. The store may say, well, that happened to you because there was a shoplifter in here yesterday who looked just like you, right? And so we experience this all the time where we feel like, okay, you know, I, I just experienced something, but I'm not 100% sure if it was because of race. 
when you're bringing a claim in court, it's incredibly important uh, to have access to discovery, to really try and figure out what truly went on. It's impossible to get into the minds of other people to really know um, what was motivating their actions. And so uh, what, what we're advocating for is that there be a, a more lenient standard, especially at the earliest stages of litigation, so that people can have an opportunity to proceed with their cases. Right. And, and to add on to that just a bit, I just want to explain to the listeners how how broad and sweeping this statute was kind of drawn out to be. Can, can you also, when you're doing that, just touch on, like, for folks who may be less familiar with the term discovery, sure. what, the, what that process actually looks like? Sure, absolutely. So it, this statute has been used to challenge um, the refusal of uh, entities to enter into contracts with um, people in the education context, for example, um, accessing a private school or accessing a, a, a private pool, right? They've used 1981 to challenge um, those kinds of denials. When we say discovery, um, what we mean is um, when you enter into uh, litigation, you file your complaint, the other side files their response to your complaint, and then you enter a phase called discovery, which is the exchange of information back and forth between both sides. You're entitled to certain information that um, supports your case, and just like you're entitled to certain information that they have, whether it be documents or diagrams or um, interrogatories or um, uh, uh, depositions where you ask questions of the other side, they're also allowed that inf- to get that information from you as well. Right. And that's the period of discovery. Now, if your case is kicked out of, if you make an allegation of discrimination under Section 1981, and you say, listen, I know that I was discriminated against, or I know that this thing happened to me at my job, and I think it was because of my race, right? and your case is kicked out before the discovery period, before you can depose anyone or ask any questions of the other side or exchange any information, at what point do you even get an opportunity to get information to help you prove your case? You just have to go on the word of what happened to you in that moment or what you thought. And as Edward pointed out, it's hard to jump inside the heads of people who discriminate. Yeah, I think like one thing I was curious about One thing I was curious about, so basically the discovery phase is the opportunity to actually do some research to figure out what your grounding is for the case that you're trying to push forward. And that's difficult because it really shuts it down. Um, And we will talk about this more when we come back from our break. Welcome back to the Generation Progress Takeover of the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm your ho- co-host, Edwith Theogene. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. Thank you. Today we're talking about uh, the Supreme Court case, Comcast v. National Association of African American Owned Media. And we're also joined by Darielle Rodriguez, the Director of Economic Justice Project at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law and Dorian Spence, the Director of Special Litigation and Advocacy, also at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under the Law. Um, Before we went to break, we were sort of unpacking what would be the impact of the Supreme Court decision. And we talked about um, Section 1981 of the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which is really important. Uh, Before we went on break, you were saying, um, why is getting to discovery so important? Um, so, as we've mentioned before, uh, it, it, discrimination sometimes is implicit. It's not in your face. And it's incredibly difficult to know what someone is thinking and whether 
their conduct geared at you was motivated by racial animus. There's just unless uh, an, an actor uses explicitly racist terms or, you know, they use slurs when they're um, engaging with you, it's just, it's really hard to know. And so discrimination cases generally are incredibly hard to prove. Um, it's even harder when you're trying to uh, implement a standard like the one that Comcast is trying to implement where litigants would be required to prove that discrimination was the reason for the denial of an opportunity. Um, and so getting access to discovery is really oftentimes the, the lifeline for litigants, right? It's the opportunity that they have to prove their case, to try and find out what happened behind the scenes. And I think it's important to note that uh, for the communities that we represent, um, for African Americans and other communities of color, those communities uh, disproportionately um, suffer from poverty. Uh, they lack access to resources. They lack access to counsel. And so already there are incredible hurdles to uh, bringing litigation, right? Um, it's incredibly difficult to get an attorney. Uh, attorneys are incredibly expensive. Yes, they are. <laughs> Litigation <laughs> is complex. Um, the the rules of civil civil procedure are complex. That's why Dorian and I spent uh, you know money going to to, to law school um, to get our degree, and and so there are already so many hurdles for litigants um, of color who are disproportionately low income, and uh, if if attorneys know that uh, there is no chance that they will have an opportunity to get to discovery, there's no incentive even for the attorneys to take on these cases, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so it's incredibly important to have access to discovery because, again, it's the opportunity that litigants have to, to prove their case, to really understand what happened behind the scenes, um, and then to be able to, to move on with their case to ultimately, hopefully, um, get access to justice. So I want, I want to go back to that, that Shopping Wild Black example that you gave um, on the just before break. So um, say a black woman has stopped walking out of a store um, after having purchased something, and is frisked to see whether or not they, you know, uh, stole something, right? And you you had given the example of uh, someone instinctively, sort of implicitly knows it's because of the color of my skin. The retort from the store might be, no, it's because we had someone who was shoplifting who looked like you the other day. And so you're in a situation where it's like, I, I know this was motivated by my race, but I can't necessarily prove that at this stage, especially with a denial from a store. But if you can get to discovery, what can you find out during the discovery process that might reveal this is this actually is about race and that this actually is maybe a pattern that the store is engaged in or there may be specific guidance like how what what can you find out during a discovery process that reveals it's not just an individual's instinct that this was motivated by race uh -huh. so as dorian was saying um during discovery you get access to internal documents you get access to witnesses, right? And so in a shop and frisk or a consumer profiling example, um, if, if someone is prevented from completing a purchase and they think it's because of their race, 
they would, uh, during discovery, demand the store's internal policies mm -hmm. related to like what what grounds are necessary for them to actually stop a person in the first place. Do they even have a policy to begin with? Or are they relying on suspicion? Um, what, uh, what people have been stopped in the past? Were those reasonable stops? Were those productive stops? If they were non-productive stops, um, what was the race of those individuals who were stopped? Were all of the people who were wrongfully stopped black? Right. And so yeah. there's a lot of information that you can uncover during discovery. And that's just like documents. Right. A let's talk about witnesses. Right. Like let's let's uh, uh, depose the, the head of security for the store, uh, the uh, person who is responsible for developing the policies and procedures related to um, stopping individuals who are suspected of shoplifting. Um, and, and so. Discovery is just an opportunity to understand what truly happened and what motivated the the action. And I think that's the thing, because it's not accusatory, right? It's really trying to uncover what is going on, and it's not making any real claims about whether something was racially motivated or not, but trying to understand, is that the motivation? And, yeah. and we've seen and we've seen very specific... Sorry, I, do you want to jump in on that point uh, before I... Uh, Daria, so I, we've seen very specific cases where during discovery things are are discovered yeah. in shopping wild black cases, in shop and frisk cases that clearly point either to, I want to use the term pattern and practice, but that goes back to my CJ days. I don't know if that's the right term here, but patterns that stores is sure. engaging, or actual like code words or policies Absolutely. that say like this is how we're going to approach customers who look certain ways that we know violate anti-discrimination laws. Absolutely. I mean, one in very important part of the discovery process is, as my colleague Darielle um, highlighted, is the opportunity to depose people who work at the store to stick with the example that we're talking about here. And a deposition is sworn testimony under oath, just like you're in court, right? So once you're sitting across the table from me and I say, hey, look, you know, what is pretty much your policy when you see a black shopper or something along those lines, trying to get to the heart of why my client was actually stopped as opposed to the other 100 or 200 people in the store or thousands of people who came into the store that day or what establishes this pattern at this particular store, without that opportunity, Mm -hmm. we, we, we would never know if the case is kicked out of court at the motion to dismiss phase. So that's the importance of being able to get to that phase of litigation after, after you file your lawsuit. Uh -huh. And so I, I, uh, I want to just drill down one example we were talking about over the, over the break. We've seen stores that actually have code words that they use when they see shoppers who look a certain way, uh -huh. right? right? Specifically black shoppers or shoppers of color right. that they'll then radio to security to go stop that right. individual. And we know that it is based on race, and that was found, off, at least in some cases during discovery, Absolutely. to have found anti-discrimination clauses, right? And so the Comcast case we're talking about right now with Byron Allen and his his suite of black-owned media channels, right? It, like as much as it's about Comcast and it's about black-owned media channels, and and that's important, mm -hmm. it also has huge implications for people who are shopping, has huge implications, you said, for people who want to access private pools. Right. Huge implications for... People who just go to work. Right. People who go to work, the gig economy, right? We talk right. about, we, we are a millennial and Gen Z-based organization at Generation <laughs> Progress. Right. You want to talk about the gig economy, you want to talk about <laughs> the ways in which the economic system in this country have failed our generations sure. and pushed us both through 
uh, force and because of uh, entrepreneurial uh, uh, activities into the gig economy, whether it be driving for Uber or Lyft or consulting on the right. side or starting podcasts. Nobody's yet paid me for my podcast. Right. Um, <laughs> like that, that has huge implications for our generations. Absolutely. So the example that you were talking about as far as using code words when you see black shoppers in the store or something like that, that example comes from right here in D.C., right here in Georgetown um, from a couple of years ago. Right. But if I were to file a lawsuit today because I got stopped in a particular store in Georgetown and I think it's because of my race. Right. If Comcast has their way. I would never get to the point where I could even ask the questions to the other side or get information from the other side if they were having those conversations about me without my knowledge, unless someone from the inside was a part of my lawsuit, which it would be tough to do because they would be working for that particular store, if that makes sense. Right. And I'm not a billionaire, just to be clear with you. So, like, take Byron Allen off the table. This isn't about a billionaire suing a a billion-dollar company or a millionaire, a multimillionaire suing a billion-dollar company. This fight comes to your front door. This is about everyone in our community. This is about black and brown people across the board. Yeah. And it's about the country being and upholding the types of values that we espouse. We fail to live up to often, but that we espouse and strive to live up to, at least in theory. Absolutely. And, and you know, we talked about this a bit at the beginning, but this statute was put in place to protect freed men and freed women coming out of the institution of slavery. It is available to protect people like Byron Allen, right? And I encourage him to use it if it's, if it applies. But this particular statute was put in place for the least of us to use as well. So we have we have just about a minute before we go to break. I want to bring it back to the technical nature of this just for a second. Um, Darielli, if you could if you could share with us a little bit about uh, what a friend of the court brief is um, and the the role that that you and your organization have been playing here, uh, and we can pick it up again when we come back. Sure. So. Uh, we've been talking about the amicus brief that we filed, and another term for that is a friend of the court brief, which means that the lawyers committee, we are not representing one of the parties to the litigation, uh, but we filed a brief to flesh out some of the issues that are critically important in this um, case so that we can um, demonstrate to the court why a ruling uh, in favor of Comcast would be detrimental to the communities that we serve. Got it. So this is this is about the principle of the matter, not the specific case at hand. That's right. This is about the implications that it has for everyone in the gig economy, everybody who goes shopping, everybody who wants to use a private pool. That's right. Absolutely. Awesome. awesome. So when we, we're going to go to break right now. When we come back here on the Generation Progress Takeover, the Leslie Marshall Show, uh, we're going to dig in just a little bit more uh, about about where we are right now and what folks might be able to do at home or what you see as next steps here in this case. So we'll be back in just a moment. Leslie Marshall, real people, real life, real talk. This is your co-host, Edward Theogene. And I'm Brent J. Cohen. And today we are talking about the Supreme Court, uh, Comcast v. National Association of African-American-Owned Media. Um, We are joined by Darielli Rodriguez, the Director of Economic Justice Project at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, and Dorian Spence, the Director of Special Litigation and Advocacy, also at the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under the Law. 
Um, so we've been discussing the impact of this really important case. And um, I was interested in learning, Darielle, can you tell us why? Is this, a, is this a coincidence that this court case is finding itself in front of the Supreme Court? I, I don't think so. Um, as we know, uh, it's been Trump's agenda to ensure that the courts are stacked with conservative justices. And um, he's appointed two justices to the Supreme Court. And what we are seeing um, from a court's perspective is that businesses are taking advantage of that, right? They are, um, I don't want to say gaming the system, but really trying to get their cases uh, in front of the Supreme Court. This is a case where um, it was still in the earliest stages of litigation. Comcast could have decided to continue litigating the case. Instead, when they lost at the Ninth Circuit, they decided to appeal to the Supreme Court instead of continuing with the case. When they lost um, at the Ninth Circuit, they lost a motion to dismiss, which basically said the case has to continue. So they could have continued litigating the case. Instead, they appealed to the Supreme Court seeking to uh, make it harder for litigants to have their day in court. And so I don't think it's a coincidence. We're seeing this uh, in a lot a lot of different areas um, in the work that we do. This Supreme Court term has been an incredibly busy one. Um, and I think that that's an important point for your listeners, that courts matter. Yes. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, there's just so much going on with uh, impeachment hearings and, and everything else. But um, in the interim, uh, justices are being or judges are being appointed to courts throughout the country, uh, including the Supreme Court. And uh, those appointments have grave implications for our everyday lives. Uh, in this Supreme Court term alone, you have LGBTQ issues before the court, you have abortion before the court, uh, you have the fate of dreamers before the court, you have uh, civil rights before the court. And so uh, I think it's, it's, it's a wake-up moment for our generation. We, we really need to be paying close attention to what's happening in the courts. Yeah, and go ahead, Dory. Just to add, a, to put numbers behind this, what Darielli was saying, Trump has appointed... 175 federal judges thus far as of today wow right two supreme court justices 50 appellate court justices uh judges and 100 and i don't know what the math is when you <laughs> subtract that but i think 121 district court judges across the country so this just isn't an issue that we're going to deal with over the next couple of years this is the issue that we're going to or issues that we're going to continue to wrestle with over the next couple of decades um, as far as conservative justices are. I think it's concerned. a lifetime situation because a Absolutely. lot of these judges, like as a country that functions want on like building case law and precedent, like right. these judges are building precedent <laughs> and that's alarming. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's a huge lack of diversity but, yes, uh, yeah, among I mean, those judges. I mean, I think that's obvious, right? Not surprising, but uh, uh, a fair judicial system is comprised of judges that reflect the society in which we live. And right. that is That's not right. happening. Right. And you have conservative activists, not necessarily on the bench, on the other side, who are taking advantage as well. For example, lead counsel for Comcast was Miguel Estrada, um, a gentleman who was up to be nominated to the um, Court of Appeals in the early 2000s. But his nomination was um, defeated by a filibuster on behalf of the Democrats who thought he was a conservative ideologue, right? They're so, in cahoots. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. I mean, I name names. So <laughs> if we're going to name names, name names. So let's let's keep naming names and let's call out Mitch McConnell, 
who went on national TV just the other day, I think it was a, a couple of days ago, and laughed when he talked about the Supreme Court justice uh, seat that was stolen from President Obama uh, during his final year in office. And he laughed and he said, well, I had something to do about the last two years of the Obama administration, and I'm on a mission to, he, now I'm paraphrasing, on a mission to appoint judges. And that has been his goal since he's been in the majority leadership seat over at the Senate. That's been exclusively what he's focused on. He's failed to act and actively blocked legislation that would do things like advent, uh, 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 address gun violence mm-hmm. um, and address a whole bunch of other major pressing issues, also that he could focus and dedicate his time to the federal judgeships that you all just talked about and quite literally stole a seat on the Supreme Court of the United States from a Democratic administration and Barack Obama. So, yes, let's name names. Let's also call out Mitch McConnell as, as part of that. Right. And I, I think one, one other important point to make is that uh, – this case is not an isolated case. It's part of a broader campaign um, by businesses to make it harder for litigants who experience discrimination to have their day in court. Um, this is just one manifestation of the Comcast case is just one manifestation of that. But we're seeing that literally in every facet of the work that we do. So, so what can folks do? I know the the case gets to the Supreme Court. There, people can rally, right? But like. What what realistically can folks do who are listening right now at home and care about this? What options exist, if any? For this particular case, uh, unfortunately, it, it's too late. Um, but as I started the, the show saying, the Lawyers Committee is a racial justice organization that fights on the forefront of all issues that, that touch on race, whether it be economic justice, special litigation, which is a vague term, I admit, <laughs> um, voting rights, fair housing, criminal uh, justice, education, et cetera. Census. Census work. Um, we're out there fighting these fights every day, and we're going to go down swinging at every opportunity. Or winning um, swinging. Winning swinging, right? Um, so if that's your fight and that's your passion we would welcome your support of the lawyers committee you can find us at www.lawyerscommittee.org if racial justice isn't your thing it's giving season find an organization that you're passionate about and give them some support and show them some love because we're here for you and we're out here fighting every day day in day out for um for marginalized communities across the country that's right. No, that's so incredibly important. We've got our Giving Tuesday emails out just a few weeks ago. Same thing, genprogress.org. Support the work. Tell us your your uh, URL one more time. W-W- Do I even need to say that anymore? I don't know Lord. if people use that anymore. <laughs> www. You just dated yourself. Something tells me you're on the older end of millennium. Thefacebook.com. Thefacebook.com. Lawyers Committee. Dot org, <laughs> L-A-W-Y-E-R-S-C-O-M-M-I-T-T-E-E dot org. And in our, our, go ahead. And I, I would just push back a little bit and say I agree with everything that Dorian said, but I don't think it's too late for this case. Uh, I think that um, it's still important to keep this case uh, in the public space. Um, and I encourage uh, folks to just pay attention to what's happening on the courts. Hey, call Comcast. You can call Comcast. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Tell them you don't approve. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, thanks for joining us here Thank on this you. on this uh, Generation Progress Takeover, the Leslie Marshall Show. Such a delight to have you both in studio and look forward to doing it again. Great. Thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Bye.